Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Illinois is touting a new vision for juvenile justice. Leaders say the changes they're making will, quote, completely overhaul the state's juvenile justice system in the next four years. Are those promises too good to be true? Well, joining us to dissect what's happening and what that means is Dua Aldeeb. She's a reporter for ProPublica Illinois. So Dua, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on. So how is Illinois planning to reform its juvenile justice system? So they're really breaking it into three phases over four years. But I think the biggest change is around the facility where the youth are being housed. So currently uh, there are five state juvenile facilities. Um, and they can hold anywhere from, let's say, 50. They're prison-like. Some people just call them prison. Um, you know, they have, some of them have barbed, barbed wire, their doors have chuck holes, you know, those slots where you can try to, you know, slide a tray of food into the cell, mm-hmm. um, and they're spread across the state. And so this new model really wants to move the youth out of those facilities and into residential centers that'll be smaller and a lot closer to home. Uh, the way the state is describing them is, you know, they're using words like, storm-like and bright and calming. Um, But the idea is kind of to get them away from these very uh, prison-like, austere settings and into more residential, home-like facilities that are going to be closer to home. And I think that's another important piece of this. Uh, One of the problems that we were hearing over and over with the current model is that um, they were just really far away from where the um, children lived before. So some kids, for example, You know, uh, I I just want to interrupt here. Um, I'm so interested in what you're saying. And unfortunately, we seem to just have a bad connection here. I understand, Dua, that you are back with us now. Can you hear me? I am. I'm so sorry. You know, we did the sound check ahead of time, and I'm just so sorry about that. You know what? Sometimes people just sound perfect in the sound check, and the minute we get on the air, it's like there's there's some bad juju that's that's holding us back here. But you sound great now, and I'm I'm happy to go back to talking about this. So you were describing these jail um, jail like settings. There's five of them across the state. Kids were in some cases very far from home. The state is saying they're going to change all that. Yeah, exactly. You know, they're saying that you know we no longer want these prison like settings. We want you know, the, you know, the goal of juvenile justice is to rehabilitate the youth and to make them, you know, put them in the most comfortable settings that, you know, um, encourage rehabilitation. So the main thing with the reform is to move them out of those facilities and um, kind of transfer those facilities to the adult corrections and then move them into regional uh, residential centers. Hmm. Well, this sounds long overdue. Frankly, this is what Missouri has been doing for decades, and, and we've received a lot of recognition um, for doing it that way in Missouri, having kids in these residential settings. What is driving Illinois finally doing this now? Uh, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, when I ask about this, Missouri comes up all the time. They're, they've been doing in Missouri, and Missouri is so great. And look at, you know, Missouri. Um, I think that, you know, this has been years in the making. I think, you know, some may even say a century in the making hmm. since Illinois was, you know, home to the first juvenile court in the country, um, you know, more than a century ago. Um, and, you know, it's out of this understanding that, you know, children are different than adults. And so when they make mistakes or commit crimes, 
they shouldn't be dealt with in the same way that adults are. And so that was kind of, you know, the, the foundation, the basis of this. But then, you know, fast forward to the 90s when Illinois and other states were adopting tough on crime laws and policies. You know, Illinois was locking up some 2,000 juveniles. Hmm. Um, but then I think there was kind of, you know, the pendulum keeps shifting. And, and so it kind of swung to the other direction, you know, after that, when lawmakers and state officials began to, you know, understand that actually that approach wasn't working. And they started looking at evidence and, and research and these dire theories of, you know, youth as super predators never really came to bear. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that plus brain research that showed that, you know, youth's brain isn't fully developed until their mid-20s. Um, and so they have greater potential for rehabilitation, uh, less evidence of culpability. I think all of that just kind of laid the foundation to, you know, this reform plan now. Hmm. So you wrote in your piece about this for ProPublica Illinois, that when you hear language like complete overhaul, that your reporter radar goes off. What makes you skeptical of what sounds like, frankly, moving in the right direction? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm not I'm, I'm not a skeptical person by nature, I think, but it's a kind of an occupational hazard. And so whenever I hear, I mean, just kind of very sweeping uh, language of reform, I think even with the best intentions, um, you know, I wonder if they'll be able to, to, to pull it off or to pull it off in the way that they want. Um, I think one of the things that has helped Illinois is, you know, it has that political will um, and sustained leadership. So, you know, I think it's important to remember Illinois didn't have a Department of Juvenile Justice until 2006. Hmm. Um, so it took time, you know, to kind of change and, and transition to this uh, more youth-centered approach. Um, and then, you know, after that, Illinois had, um, um, I think what also helped is we had two governors, one Republican and the current one Democrat, who has made criminal justice reform a priority. Um, and I think one of the things that I noticed when looking at Department of Juvenile Justice compared, for example, to the Department of Children and Family Services here, which I also write about, um, is that there's been sustained leadership at juvenile justice. Um, and so, you know, usually when you've got a new governor who comes in, you know, he or she likes to kind of um, clean house and put their own people in. But we had two governors in a row who either appointed or retained directors of juvenile justice departments who were really pushing for these reforms. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, I think that gives me hope. Um, but, um, you know, you know, I think in Missouri, you're, you're the show me state. So I've kind of got that built. And I'm like, OK, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. And yeah, that's, I think, something a lot of journalists learn, like, okay, I'm going to have to be skeptical here, but it sounds like there's also an element of of hope in how you're greeting this. I was shocked in reading your story um, that there's a very small number of kids statewide who are currently locked up in juvenile detention. Is that um, mostly because of the coronavirus pandemic right now? Um, Actually, it's been kind of um, this, this sustained effort that the department has really been working toward. Um, so we mentioned that 2000 number, you know, um, back in the late 90s, and then um, they were able to bring it down to, you know, maybe a thousand a decade ago. But even just within the last couple of years, they were going from, you know, 400 to 300 
And now they're, you know, around 100. Hmm. So part of it is coronavirus, but part of it is just really part of this effort to reduce reliance on the juvenile justice system. And that's another part of this reform plan, in addition to just the facilities um, and moving them, you know, to residential centers, but also reducing reliance on the juvenile justice system and trying to build more community-based services um, and support for the youth. It's interesting. As much as Missouri's uh, juvenile justice system is considered this model, there's been a great debate happening in the state in in recent weeks where the governor wanted to give judges the option to take kids as young as 12 and put them in the adult system. And now that age, as the bill has been changing, it's been inching up higher and higher. But there's still a lot of questions about when do we put a kid in the juvenile system? When do we treat them as adults? And you've covered this issue in Illinois, where the state was automatically transferring 15-year-olds to a adult prison. What did you learn about that policy when you were working on those stories? Uh, yeah, and that's something, you know, I think as being, you know, neighbor to Missouri, you know, I've, I've heard about a lot um, in recent weeks um, and advocates, you know, really criticizing and, and balking at that because of the potential, you know, just to increase the number of juveniles in the system. Um, I think what I saw from, you know, my coverage of this issue is it really takes the um, discretion out of the judge's hands. And, you know, when they're not able to consider mitigating factors like poverty or like, you know, history or, you know, family status, um, this one-size-fits-all approach doesn't really um, work. And so I remember, you know, interviewing a kid who had just turned 15, you know, maybe just a few weeks before, um, you know, he had committed this crime. Um, And there was another kid who was, you know, a few weeks younger and you had not yet, um, you know, reached his 15th birthday, um, and they got markedly different sentences when really you're talking about a matter of weeks. Hmm. And, you know, again, going back to this idea of, you know, brain development, you know, a, a teenager's brain is not fully developed at that age. And so when we treat them as adults, there's a real question about, you know, what that means for their ability to um, be rehabilitated, and then once they're in the system, what that means for their risk of, um, you know, assault and abuse in the facilities. You talked to some of these juvenile offenders who were doing hard time in the adult system, and, and these interviews were kind of heartbreaking. Uh, these They almost just seemed like lost kids in an adult prison as opposed to, to somebody that we should be afraid of. Was, was that your takeaway as you were reporting, or or are there some who maybe they genuinely do belong in the adult prisons? You know, Sarah, I have to say, um, you know, I've been doing this for a number of years now, and every time I talk to these, um, you know, teenagers, and, you know, I, I interviewed a number of them who were in for murder, who, you know, committed murder, um, as we as we talked more and kind of like that hard um, outer shell would kind of come down, um, they were children, um, they would talk about, you know, I really wanted to fit in. I, I really wanted these shoes or, you know, these um, kids were making fun of me because of this. Or, you know, I got involved in a gang because if I didn't, I was afraid, you know, um, I was going to get killed. Um, and so what the research, again, shows us is that teenagers are more susceptible to peer pressure um, and, you know, they lack impulse control. And so when, you know, when I'm you know, sitting in an adult prison talking to, you know, a 19-year-old who committed this crime, you know, uh, three or four years ago, I don't 
see a hardened criminal in front of me. What I saw over and over was a child. Hmm. So going back to this current proposal where um, Illinois is is hoping to move kids out of these jail-like facilities into residential facilities, there's also a group of young people, um, their families and advocates from Northwestern University. They've launched this campaign that that you mentioned in your story called the Final Five Campaign. And, And what's the goal there with that? Uh, we know where their first thing is they want to shut down the five youth um, facilities in Illinois. So those five um, prison-like or prison, whatever term you want to use, uh, they want to see them closed. Um, and then they also want to make sure that, you know, whatever replacement Illinois comes up with um, is small. They don't want more than, you know, 10 youth in one um, setting. And they want to make sure that their families are able to actually go and visit um, um, the the kids who are there, um, and they want to be part of the process. So they want, um, you know, as Illinois is making these decisions, to be involved in those discussions since they were youth who were affected, they were in the system. Um, and then they also really want to talk about kind of what happens next. So once the youth is let out, you know, how are they um, reentered back into the community? What kind of services um, are they, um, you know, being provided? Hmm. So they're there. Basically, they want to hold these policy makers who've announced these big goals. They want to hold them accountable on the details. Absolutely. Well, Dua Aldib of ProPublica Illinois, I want to thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing all the information on, on what's happening there in Illinois. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.